You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Padres Social Hour. I am Agler, one of the broadcasters for the San Diego Padres. And uh, for a second consecutive day, we've got an awful lot of stuff to talk about as we get closer and closer to some actual baseball. Uh, If you haven't been following the news, and I imagine that's very few of you, if you're tuning into an online show at dinner time to talk baseball, you probably have kept up pretty well with everything that's going on, Uh, but a deal has been reached. Uh, Players will start to report to spring training next week. Uh, The official report date, I guess, is Wednesday. Workouts probably a couple of days after that, and then uh, hopefully uh, health... uh, Concerns aside, just for the briefest of moments, uh, we will have opening night on uh, July 23rd. More on that in just a few moments. I'm very happy to welcome in uh, two of the uh, favorite of mine, at least, media members uh, in all of San Diego, Bob Scanlon and Annie Heilbrunn. Uh, Bob's working double duty. I think you're the first uh, co-host to go back-to-back day scans. We appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you pacing me. You know, it's just like the players. We don't want to do too much too fast. So uh, thanks for working me along, Jesse. I appreciate it. And great to be with you for a second day. And always awesome to have Annie on board. Good to see you guys. It's great to be here, guys. Yeah, Scan's like the the guy in the bullpen. You can pull him out night after night. He's going to deliver on the mound, literally. Um, but no, it's it might not be great. good, but, but I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be back, guys. Great to see you both. Absolutely. Uh, let's handle a couple of the, the very obvious particulars before we dive into anything new, uh, because I know this question is going to come up a lot. The season will be 60 games. We'll break that down for you in just a few moments. Uh, Robert says, how are fans going to be able to watch the games? Uh, as far as we know, and, and I don't have any reason to believe otherwise, you'll be able to watch and listen TV and radio. Same as always. That's not going to be changing this year. Some of the behind the scenes stuff for those broadcasts might be uh, different than usual. Uh, but from a fan consumption standpoint, Fox Sports San Diego for television, 97.3 The Fan, and the Padres Radio Network for radio. So uh, there you go. There, I know that I've been asked that question a lot on social media in the last 24 hours or so, which is really, really good because it means people want to watch and listen to us, um, which we appreciate. As for the actual schedule, those 60 games and everything like that, still no official word from MLB. Uh, We kind of know the teams that the Padres are going to be playing, but we don't know much about dates. We haven't heard really anything on this until just about an hour ago. Uh, Bob Nightingale of USA Today uh, tweeted the following. MLB season will officially start July 24 for most of the teams. Uh, However, there will be two nationally televised games July 23rd to open the 2020 season. Um, he's expecting uh, Yankees ace Garrett Cole to debut in prime time. That's probably a pretty good bet. And I would imagine a West Coast game uh, as the other part of that opening doubleheader. Uh, if you wanted to guess the Dodgers would be involved, that's not a horrible guess. We obviously don't know, but that's generally the way these things go. And who knows, maybe it will be a Padre-Dodger game. We'll kind of wait and see on all of that. But uh, there you go. That's the plan. Most everybody will be opening up on that Friday with a couple of games uh, on Thursday. As for more particulars of the schedule, guys, uh, Jason Stark did a really nice job in the athletic kind of breaking down the way it would work. This might not be new information for everybody, but just in case we wanted to throw it back out there, uh, you'll play 10 games apiece against each of the four teams in the division. That's 40 of the 60 games. Uh, So four out of every six games the Padres will play this year will be against either the Dodgers, Giants, Rockies, or Diamondbacks, you'll have two and three game series. And then you'll play 20 games against AL West opponents. And they're kind of working out how that will be uh, broken up. It sounds like we will get our natural rivalry with the Mariners kicked back into gear. So that's always exciting, I know, for a lot of people. Other uh, kind of schedule notes in terms of how this thing is going to actually break down. He did what he calls the hardest travel, and uh, we we win that, if you can call it winning, um, because of the time zones and all that kind of stuff. 
you, know, you consider that in, in the East and the Central in particular, um, outside of like, let's go with the East first, outside of going down to, you know, Miami, Atlanta, Tampa, everything is kind of clustered in the Mid-Atlantic and the Northeast. Obviously, with the Central Divisions, you have the two Chicago teams, Milwaukee just up the road, uh, St. Louis not far, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in the West, you're spread out from Seattle to Houston. Uh, obviously, for the California teams, it's nice to be able to just sort of work your way up and down the coast. But it looks like uh, it will be the most difficult from a travel perspective on the West. Not that that's anything new. Also, it's kind of interesting. I thought stuff we learned in the last 24 hours or so, hitters will now have to bring their own pine tar rags, donuts, and other equipment to and from the on-deck circle. I'll be honest, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing a guy who makes $300 million like lug his stuff up like a little leaguer. I just think there's something kind of uh, cool and old school about that. Also, you got to get your own uh, hat, your own glove, your own sunglasses out of the dugout. Just trying to obviously limit who's touching what. Pitchers will have their own rosin bags. They'll have their own bullpen balls um, and and all things kind of like that. We've also heard that you're going to have a wet rag if you're a pitcher for grip because they don't want you licking your hands or your fingers. So that's kind of some of the the interesting stuff, I guess, uh, when it comes to the way that this thing is is breaking down. Um, we heard from both A.J. Preller and Jace Tingler today talk a little bit about what we got from those guys. Bob, Andy, though, I want to start with with kind of the schedule breakdown and everything like that. Scans, anything, you know, kind of jump out to you as a former player in, in terms of Okay, that that could be a little bit weird, aside from the obvious, I guess. No, I'm just I'm just excited that the Vetter Cup is back, right? When we play the Mariners, I mean that's what fans care about. So we got the Vetter Cup competition back. That's a good thing. Um, the travel thing is always interesting to me, Jesse, because you know you mentioned the the different variances in travel and how the West is probably going to have a little bit more than some of the other divisions. But I I've spoken to guys. I always seem to be on the East Coast for some reason. I didn't have any sort of middle of the country type teams, but. Um, I've talked to players who were in the central division teams, got traded to either the West or the East, and they found that the travel was so much tougher and it took a toll over the course of the season. So it sounds like something that's not that big a deal when you've got players traveling um, in the nice jets and, you know, the, the nice accommodations that we do have when we travel. But at the same time, um, it'll be nice not to be changing the time zones. It'll be nice not to have to worry about that aspect of it. So again, it goes back to the whole thing of maybe in some strange way, we're going to see a, a pure form of baseball in that the players are going to be fresher than they've ever been, especially come playoff time. So there's 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 a lot of interesting aspects to this thing that that still remain to be to be played out. But I, I'm I'm excited to see this season get started. I'm excited to see what sort of subtle nuances that we see um, because of the way that schedule is set up. And any I don't know about you, but I don't think you you you're going to have any complaint from any players that you deal with about uh, having a little bit less travel possibly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, they'll relatively be, although it'll be summer still and it'll be hot, they won't be in places where it's extremely muggy all the time, you know, for like those 10, 12 game road trips in the middle of Atlanta or, or whatnot. So, or St. Louis. Um, so, you know, you're going to have a little bit more kind of Southern California kind of decently hot summer weather, you know? So I think that they'll like that. And I think that what stands out to me really is just like, it's like a snap of the fingers. I mean, you look at that 10 games against the divi- your division opponents, and then, you know, you've got those 20 other ones, and then it's done, you know, <laughs> except, you know, obviously if you're going into the postseason. So I think when you look at it, it's just kind of like it kind of, you know, you remember, wow, like this, this is really just like a, a quick shot here, you know, like we've been talking about. But um, also, as you both alluded to, the nuances are my favorite part. You know, I, I think we will get into this, Jesse, but just from a standpoint of these players, how they're so used to things, like you're just so used to yeah. spitting or you're used to high-fiving. I don't know, you know, you guys might have discussed this already, but just, you know, having to kind of pull yourself back, I think will be interesting to watch as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Just on the weather too, as you kind of mentioned, and, and believe me, I thought of that. All right, hey, no going to Atlanta or Philadelphia in the middle of the summer, uh, you know, August or yeah. something like that. Um, when you start thinking about the NL West and the AL West between domes and climates, I mean, is Denver like the only place where a rainout might even be realistic? And, and I say that in in kind of a haha, we live in San Diego way, but also you got 60 games in 66, 67 days, not going to be a lot of time to play makeups. And so that means, you know, if the weather does go south on you in Chicago or in Atlanta or in New York, you're gonna have to play double headers. You could get some really crammed schedules for those other teams, Annie, that we're probably not gonna have to worry about nearly as much out here. Yeah, absolutely. And when you have such a tight schedule and then you obviously we don't know kind of what the world is going to throw at us, you know, at, or at these players in, in this two months as well. You need kind of everything to go 
as well as can be, you know? So when you have those things working in your favor, I do think it helps. And also, even though these guys, yes, they travel on their jets and they stay in the nice hotels. Um, I don't know yet still, you know, they might be, there might be the, the the testing and stuff might might be a little bit all the all the checking and making sure you know it kind of might add hours to their days or, or when they get in after a flight you know kind of making sure things are sanitized or what whatever they need to be so i think any little bit helps when you look at this as far as just getting an edge um in such a weird and unique season yeah, these guys are so set on their routines, aren't they? I mean, we've, we've all seen that and, and trying to get interviews with certain guys. And we all know that they've got their way of doing things. So um, a lot of those routines are going to get disrupted. And, uh, I, you know, the, the guy that's actually going to benefit from this the most, I think, is Will Myers. Because I don't know that he has a, a routine, so to speak. And he doesn't carry anything up to the plate with him. He's got no batting gloves, nothing. He just goes up there as long as there's some dirt in the, in the batter's box. He's good to go. So some guys are going to benefit from uh, having less less toys that they rely upon. Yeah, as long as he's allowed to pick up the dirt and rub it between his hands before getting yes. into the box. Yeah. Hopefully there's not a Will Myers rule um, that, that prevents that. Uh, Andy kind of alluded to it a little bit, uh, you know, the health and safety protocols. I think, look, you, you pick up the front page of the newspaper today, you look at the COVID numbers here in San Diego, it's a very important thing to keep in mind. Um, this this goes well beyond, you know, the two sides kind of agreeing to play 60 games and what they're going to do. You know, there, there's still a very real public health crisis in this country. So, you know, I, I don't want to be the wet blanket, but I also don't want to push that fully aside in this conversation um, because obviously these guys are going to be having a very unusual season for a reason here in 2020. And, and the more I've kind of thought about this in the last couple of days, scans, I almost feel like, you know, the, the team with the most guys who take the most personal responsibility for their health and well-being, I mean, there are there could be wins there. You know, you're talking about how every game is basically worth two and a half or three games now because of the length of the season. Every game will matter so so much. If you lose a guy to that COVID list for a few days or a week, and it's a key player, that could have a huge impact on your season. Um, and obviously, you don't wish that upon anyone. But if you can stay healthy, if your team can come together and say, "Hey," We're going to take this really seriously. Forget going to restaurants on the road. Forget this, whatever it is. There could be real value in the standings attached to that. It's a great point. And we talk about how they're going to have to pace these guys coming out of spring training. It's a shorter spring training. So how are the managers going to pace guys? On the one hand, you're thinking, oh, only 60 games. That's great. Just run those guys out there every game. But at the beginning, you run that physical injury risk. But the other thing that you're pointing out, which is totally true, is, is what's going on with COVID. And we just saw that today with the Toronto Blue Jays. And remember, a lot of these teams have not been testing. A lot of these guys have not been tested. So now that it's going to be the protocol to start testing, we're going to find more guys. I mean, there, there's no question about it. We're going to see more people on coaching staffs, training staffs, players. And to your point, it's you're not going to miss a week. You're probably not going to miss two weeks. If you come down with that, there's a good chance you might miss three weeks or more because a lot of these guys are getting bad symptoms. That alone is going to put you on the shelf, let alone how long does it take for you to test negative at that point, let alone then how does how long does it take you to get back into playing condition. So, And over the course of a 60-game season, you're right, those types of things can become absolutely huge, especially if it's a marquee player. I mean, That's what makes this thing so interesting is that there, there are no givens. Everybody's got a shot to win. And you look at a team that you think is at the forefront – well, certainly over 162 games, we know how things play out and it's it's to your advantage. But over 60 games, if, if one of these teams loses one of their marquee guys, a, a stud pitcher, the number four batter in their lineup, whoever it may be, everything can turn on a dime. And Andy, I think it's going to be fun to watch from that perspective, if nothing else. Yeah, I agree. I think it reminds me a lot of football because in football, you know, with the 16 games, if someone gets injured – it matters a lot more, you know? And so in, in this case, you know, you're dealing with, yeah, not only injury from a health standpoint, the normal wear and tear of a player, but also for from COVID because you just don't have the time to build that back up on the other end. So it's really like literally next man up, like we hear in football all the time. And it's really going to matter, you know, at, at this point. And I really am glad that both of you brought up the coronavirus because look, I'm excited. I think when that first pitch gets thrown, it's going to be exciting. But the reality is, is that this is being played against the backdrop of a pandemic that is still like roaring in the background. I just saw that the highest number of cases in the U.S. today, um, the New York Times reported this morning that there's still not enough testing. And, and that's something all the, the professional teams are going to have to grapple with, just even the optics of, of all the tests that they're going to run, getting their, their leagues going. So 
I completely understand, you know, why this is happening. I think it's great to get excited about it, but I think it's also really important that we don't lose the fact that there's going to be people who cannot opt out of this or who choose not to, you know, because they, they don't want it to, to reflect poorly on them, not just players, but also service workers or, or, or broadcasters or, or um, security guys, whatever it can, you know, whatever it may be. And they're going to have to make sacrifices, you know? So again, I agree that the health is going to be the, the number one priority and hopefully players make those kind of sacrifices as well. And I think it's the team that, that loses the least amount of guys to the coronavirus, as morbid as that sounds, um, that will probably, you know, be in the playoffs because as soon as you get a, a rash going through a clubhouse of eight or 10 guys, let's hope that doesn't happen, but say it does, you know, you're going to have to be pulling from that taxi squad and it's really going to make a difference. So there's just so many things to consider here. Yes, it's exciting, but yes, there's there's also a whole lot of reality going on in the background. I wonder if it's going into the Vegas odd makers strategy of if you've got a more veteran team, those guys are less likely to get COVID because they're going to be staying home and being more responsible as opposed to younger teams. So I don't know, the leadership in the clubhouse and the age of your roster may in a strange way become a factor in this whole thing as well. Who knows? Yeah, the interesting stuff. And obviously got to keep it not just in the back of our minds, but in the front of our minds yes. uh, as we go forward here. Look, it's an entertainment product. We get that trying to provide some entertainment uh, to the people in this country and around the world. But there are bigger things going on. Uh, mentioned both A.J. Preller and Jace Tingler spoke with the media today. Uh, I know you guys were on, on both of those Zoom calls, as I was. Uh, for, for the A.J. call, I guess, scans, the, the main takeaway I had, well, A, was there's still a lot they don't know. Uh, in terms of how this is all going to work. Uh, and also, B, you know, we kept saying July 1st for spring training. That's kind of the intake day. They might not be able to get back on the field for a couple of days after that, which means that whole rush to get ready is going to be even more rushed. No question about it. And that was something I'm glad somebody brought up. Is like, when are they actually going to be on the field? Will it be July 1st? And the answer was, we don't know. And, and to your first point, I agree. My biggest takeaway was how little AJ actually knew and it's just a reminder that this thing is so fluid. We're in uncharted territories. And even though they're trying to come up with the best protocols they can and trying to come up with, with answers to all these questions that are out there, and there's questions that we don't even know are questions yet, we got to keep in mind this is going to be evolving. And so we have to be a little bit patient, I think, with Major League Baseball and the teams and understand that, hey, what they say this week might be different than what they say ne next week. Um, but it is interesting to see uh, how this thing continues to evolve. And look, the bottom line is what I took away from AJ or excuse me, Jace's talk also is that he felt like he had a pretty good finger on the pulse of how his players have been doing and what kind of shape they're in. And I thought it was interesting. He said, we've had a very large contingency of players that have been coming to, to San Diego to work out and in Arizona. So I got the sense, and I don't know if this is the same for every team that, they got a pretty good idea of which guys are in shape, what to expect coming into camp. Now, there's going to be surprises, and obviously they're going to have a short period of time to figure out who is ready to compete on that roster opening day. But I got the sense, Annie, and maybe you did as well, that the Padres feel pretty good about where they're at right now from a physical standpoint in terms of the readiness of the players that are going to be showing up to camp. Yeah, absolutely. And everyone that um, that I've talked to over this time, and I think you guys as well, you know, I, I do believe they've all been working out. You know, they, they've been whatever they're doing, in, whether it's in Arizona or in their hometown or, you know, working out with a trainer. Now, none of that, of course, is quite the shape you want to be in to take the field, but they're at least, you know, probably not in, uh, you know, vacationing in Hawaii shape for, for a month or something like that. You know, I think that they're all basically, basically ready to get going here. But I think that what is interesting too is like, what you just said, Scans, they don't know what they don't know yet. And things are going to be fluid and changing. Even today, it was like, are the the pitchers and catchers going to be on one field and the position players going to be on another field? Can we have four people working out at the same time? Can we? I mean, it's not going to look anything, I don't think, like the normal practices that we see. Um, I, I think there might be a limit. I'm not sure you guys can correct me on, you know, how many guys are on the field or how many guys are in a cluster and things like that. So, so it, they're going to have to work through all that. And there's going to be a learning curve for sure for them and for every team. Yeah. Uh, Matt Bailo and his uh, grounds crew at Peco Park, they're going to have their hands full. I would imagine uh, trying to jam some semblance of spring training. Can we just call it summer camp? I saw that going around on Twitter, uh, you know, on, on a normal major league field. What, one of the other things Jay said, which look, it's obvious and we've said it. And it, I just think it, it bears repeating guys is that 
This is the same situation for all 30 teams. Everybody is in uncharted territory. You know, there, there's no great disadvantage to us because we've got to have spring training in this weird way and we're not going to be able to do the things we normally do. And we're only going to have four mounds to throw off as opposed to, you know, 12 or whatever it might be in Peoria. It's everybody dealing kind of with um, the, the same thing. And, and the main goal, Annie, I mean, I, I don't think Jace could have said it any more clearly, is to just try and, and maintain health as much as possible, even aside from COVID-19, which obviously is the primary thing for everybody. Um, but, you know, whether it's pitchers or position players, you know, just saying, hey, don't step on the gas too quick, quickly here. Um, we know everybody's excited to get back to baseball, uh, but kind of as we mentioned earlier, you know, an oblique strain, which might cost you uh, a tenth of the season in a normal year, all of a sudden could end up costing you almost a full season now. Yeah. And even though these guys are going to work back up and they're, you know, I, I see the potential for having more injuries um, just because it's been so weird and things are weird. And you're also going to have a mental factor in this. You're, you're, there's going to be some kind of factor in a mental exhaustion or even not having fans kind of like a flatlining. Like there's just going to be some kind of like mental gymnastics that go on that could also contribute to a physical factor if you're not careful. So I, I think that there's the ability, yes, for for some serious uh, potential for injuries. Let's hope they don't happen. But, you know, not not to any player's fault either. I think just – and Scans, you can probably answer this better. Just the fact of just the weirdness of this might play into some kind of more, you know, maybe soft tissue or kind of injuries that, that we're not used to normally seeing so many of. No question, Annie. And we talked about this before about what, what routine-oriented – guys baseball players generally are you know and we're used to pacing ourselves and knowing what to expect and knowing when to throw and get everything ready so i agree with you i think there's certainly the potential for that along with the fact that these guys have been cooped up for the last three months and they want to play ball and they're going to go out there and they're going to get after it it's going to be fun to have competition it's going to be fun in uniform it's going to be fun to see your teammates again and they're going to be you know anxious to get the season started they're going to know that the season is even more um, condensed um, and intense for 60 games. So they know that it's important that they be ready to go on the first day. So all of those factors are there. The one thing that I will stand by, though, and we talked about this a couple of shows ago, is that I do believe that the players nowadays are in better shape than those in my generation. I think that these guys take better care of themselves year round. And I think there's more facilities available to guys to be able to maintain that that's a sense of being ready for the season that they were working on in spring training. So I am cautiously optimistic that maybe that is going to counteract all the other uncertainties that you were just mentioning, Annie, but it will be interesting to see. And Jace is certainly aware of it. He mentioned it several times, the importance of pacing these guys, the designated hitter will be important, not just because you can get Ty France in there and Josh Naylor and some of the other guys that might not have been consistent playing time, but just as important because you can give Eric Hosmer a day off early on. Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr., get those guys off their feet a little bit to try to give them the rest that they're going to need. So hopefully we don't have – it doesn't become an injury-plagued thing because we want to see the best players on the field. Hopefully no injuries, hopefully a minimum impact of COVID, and we see the best players on the field going at it in an intense 60-game season. It should be fun. That's certainly the hope uh, for everybody. Bob, you asked Jason about the bullpen on that call earlier today. And uh, look, we, we know it's a strength. We know there's depth. And obviously these first couple of weeks with the roster bigger than it will be, uh, it's going to be 30 total players on opening day, then down to 28 two weeks after that, and then down to 26, which is the new normal number uh, a month into the season. But, but that presents some real opportunities for a couple of guys. It sure does. This plays perfectly into the strength of the Padres, which I do believe was their bullpen all along. And what was really interesting to hear from uh, Jace himself was the fact that they were going to have to make some very difficult decisions on a normal 26-man roster of who was actually going to make that pitching staff and who was going to be a part of that bullpen. They have too many arms which is a great position to be in because there's a lot of teams. I mean, just look at the Nationals last year, what they went through with their bullpen and how long it took for them to finally figure it out almost too late. Ultimately, they did, of course, and they were able to win a World Series championship, but they're not going to have time to recover this year. There are a lot of general managers and managers right now that are looking at their rosters, thinking to themselves, holy smokes, we had a thin bullpen to begin with. Now it's going to be taxed even more to start this short season this plays right into the Padres' strength, and I love the fact that they have the depth that they have right now, Annie. I mean, you know how many arms that they have. This could really benefit the Padres, especially early on in this season. 
Yeah, I think the Padres have an advantage here. And it's also something interesting when you look at, you know, like younger guys or guys getting opportunities. On the one hand, you think, okay, guys might get more opportunities. You know, maybe some guys won't play this or that. But on the other hand, if you want your team to win, you want your best guys out there, you know, pretty much every game. It's 60 games, you know. So so you want to kind of trot your best out there and try to win and, and run to the finish line. So I think it's going to be interesting also from an opportunity standpoint. And, of course, health will dictate some of that as well. Um, and even from Jace Tingler, you know, we we saw him the first, uh, gosh, the first week of spring training. He said that his biggest challenge is pacing himself. He likes to jump out there and get into things. And as a first-time manager, to to be managing, you know, in a pandemic and having all these kinds of different nuances around you, I think that's going to be interesting to watch as well. But um, but as far as the bullpen and the Padres having some strength there, you know, they're in a definite advantage with with who they have in that bullpen. Yeah, that that's funny. You mentioned the the first time, and then all, all these changes. Jay said that's one of the things they'll work on during that three weeks of spring training. Is like, where are we all going to sit in the dugout? I mean, silly <laughs> stuff you wouldn't ever think about, but like now there's rules to go with that. They want to make sure something works. All right, who's going to sit here? Where's you know my pitching coach? Where's my bench coach? All that kind of stuff. I mean, they're going to be working out things like that along with everything else. So it is uh, it is a weird new world, obviously. And uh, it will probably get weirder as uh, we get a little bit closer to actually seeing it unfold on the field. Again, hopefully uh, from a big picture health and safety standpoint, everything works out as well as it possibly can. Meanwhile, uh, we focused so much a couple of weeks ago on the draft, obviously, because it was like a real actual baseball thing that was happening. Uh, More (laughs) news coming out today of the uh, smiley face variety for the Padres as they uh, inked a couple more draft choices. We talked yesterday about first round pick eighth overall Robert Hassel, the third signing his deal. And uh, again, more news today as they agreed to terms with Justin Lang, Owen Casey, Levi Thomas and Jagger Haynes. Uh, the guys signing their deals at Petco Park today. Um, so that was good to see. And we actually wanted to uh, get a little bit deeper into the draft uh, as well and kind of recap it. Um, if you watched any of the draft coverage on MLB Network, you certainly had the opportunity to see analysis from Carlos Colazo of Baseball America. Uh, he's a guy that we got to know a couple of years ago here in San Diego, covered the team for uh, most of the 2016 season alongside AJ Casvel of MLB.com. Now he's like Mr. Draft at Baseball America. Carlos, a great guy. We were uh, thrilled to be able to catch up with him earlier today to talk about the 2020 draft and the Padres farm system moving forward. Pleased to uh, check in with a very familiar face and name to Padre fans. Helped uh, cover the Padres alongside AJ Casavell, Padres.com back in 2016. Now a national baseball writer for Baseball America, focusing on the draft. And we saw him all over MLB Network uh, during the draft a couple of weeks ago. Carlos Calazo. First of all, man, lovely to see you. Uh, wonderful job on TV. What was that experience like for you? Well, thank you. It was fun. It was it was a lot uh, it was a lot different than most years, obviously. It was weird being in a studio with, with no one in there around you and everyone in face masks. So it was kind of an eerie feeling actually being in studio. But talking about the draft and kind of seeing it all unfold after we've spent a year plus uh, for some players, kind of breaking them down and, and figuring them out is always exciting. It's always fun to see how it actually pans out after we've been projecting and, and kind of feeling out where players fit and what teams are attacking which players. It's always nice just to see it actually happen uh, and then go from there. But it was a fun draft despite it being short. I think this year's draft class was the deepest draft that I've covered since I've been at Baseball America. So it's disappointing that it's only a five-round draft, I think, for, for the scouting departments, for the players, definitely for the college coaches as well. But uh, it was fun to see, and it's a draft that we're all going to look back on for a long time and kind of wonder about i think as we see how these players pan out and and the players who didn't get drafted how they pan out in future years what did you think about the five round thing going into it and did you feel any differently coming out of it Uh, i think disappointment is probably the word that comes to mind most of the scouts that i talked to uh the scouting directors front office officials they obviously wanted more rounds um just from their perspective it's what their guys are working on the entire year this is their chance to kind of put some impact talent in a system and i think anytime you take away draft rounds, scouts are going to be disappointed. So I think it's pretty easy for me to kind of fall in that bucket as well as someone who covers the draft um, full time, like you were talking about. I I think anytime you you make it shorter, it's a little bit more disappointing. There are talented players who could have gone in the six to 10 round range this year that would have become big league players. So again, I, I don't know if 
it's just tough to say now. Um, I will have to see how it pans out, but I think just again, just disappointing with such a great draft class and such a deep draft class. Uh, really, the second and third tier of players are stronger this year than I've ever seen it, and we didn't really get to see that play out in the draft. I think there are plenty of teams who are in a situation now where they would love to add uh, some talent to their farm system. Maybe the Padres are under the opposite side of that spectrum and in, in that they have a plenty of talent now, um, but all these guys really want to add as much talent as possible, and whenever you limit that, I think it's a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I think that's certainly the uh, consensus around baseball. Let's talk Padres. What did you make of the draft? Obviously, five rounds, six picks. It's kind of easy to recap. We don't have to go guy by guy here. We've already done that on the show. Uh, but your overall feelings on, on what they're able to put together. Yeah, the past few years, I've really liked what the Padres have done in the draft. I feel like they're just a team that isn't afraid of risk. They're not afraid of the security of different demographics. They're not afraid to go for some players who... Uh, maybe more teams that are a bit more analytically driven would would maybe steer away from just because of the history of certain position types or, or profiles. I think that Padres really target upside aggressively, and I appreciate that. It seems like they really scout for tools and and don't really mind the risk that might be associated with some of their players. I mean, they got the best pure hitter in the high school class, and that player traditionally has done really well. Uh, it's a player that I think in hindsight we might have had ranked a little bit too low in Robert Hassel. Uh, just the best all-around hitter in the high school class. I think that was a solid pick, and they saved a little bit of money on him uh, and were able to spread that around throughout their draft class. I think Cole Wilcox, who they got in the third round, might be one of the best values in the entire draft. We saw him as a no-doubt first-round type of arm, a draft-eligible sophomore out of Georgia with really impact stuff, and to get him in the third round when we saw him as a guy who could go in the 20s on talent is, is a phenomenal steal. Justin Lang, a guy who has some of the best pure arm talent in the class. I think he kind of hits that exact profile of a guy who has tremendous upside, but quite a bit of risk. And the fact that the Padres aren't afraid to go get a guy like that and and see if they can develop him into an impact type of arm at the next level is exciting. And I think as a Padres fan, it's kind of nice to see that your team targets that sort of talent consistently and relentlessly. And, And just to see them go for talent at every pick where you see some teams went for some money savers early and you can have different strategies. Maybe you go really high end at the top, but the Padres really got talent at, at every slot. And I think their class is pretty exciting because of that. Carlos Colazo, baseball America covers the draft, uh, covered the Padres back in 2016 for uh, MLB.com. What about the farm system overall now for the Padres? Obviously you start graduating guys uh, like Fernando Tatis Jr. You expect the rankings to go down, uh, but still top to bottom. How do we feel about the system? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the better systems in baseball. It's one of the deeper systems. I think the Padres and the Rays, for me, are the two deepest farm systems in the game right now. And I think nothing about this draft, how it panned out, will really change that. Uh, Obviously, that might change as we kind of get some of these guys graduating. But I feel like they have a great collection of talent at the upper levels and in the lower levels of the minor leagues. I mean, the guy on the wall behind me, Mackenzie Gore, is one of the most exciting prospects in baseball for me. Uh, and I think he's he's going to be a phenomenal pitcher. But I, really, there are not a lot of holes to speak of in the Padres system just on talent. Uh, I think it's hard to argue them as not a top two, top three system in the game. A lot of conversation has been had lately about guys like Mackenzie Gore, Luis Patino, sort of those upper level prospects who are perhaps going to find major league time this year under normal circumstances. Obviously, with everything being weird and different here in 2020, uh, their situation could change dramatically. What about, though, the guys who are not kind of busting towards the big leagues at this particular moment? I'm thinking in particular, perhaps, of a, a C.J. Abrams, but anybody else, you know, a guy that was drafted last year or that maybe was targeted to go to single A to start this season, who there are very real expectations for. We don't really know anything about what minor league baseball is or isn't going to look like this year, aside from the fact that it won't be normal. Mm-hmm. How are teams going to continue to develop the talent that isn't necessarily big league ready, you think? Yeah, I, th- I think that's one of the biggest questions that, that all these teams are still working through. I don't know if I have a great answer, but I do know that having one year loss of development time, I feel like is is really limiting for what these guys need to be working on. I mean, all these guys are in stages of their development where you need regular at-bats, you need regular innings in the field defensively, whether that's a guy like Abrams who needs to put in some work defensively to stick at shortstop or whether that's a prospect that needs to work on pitch recognition or some mechanics of their swing or pitchers on the mound. I mean, you can't replicate the game looks that you get in a minor league season. And 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see how teams kind of tackle that without a minor league season to be had. What kind of instructs do they do? Are they able to replicate those real game situations uh, via scrimmages uh, or other kind of instruct scenarios? Because, I mean, we've seen some players, so I'll take a draft example, a guy like Bryce Jarvis. He didn't play in any games last summer, but still managed to get much, much better as a prospect and as a player. So I think with where player development is at now with kind of the data and the analytics and the quick feedback loop you have, um, particularly for pitchers, I think it might be okay. Uh, you might be able to find ways to improve or add another pitch or just improve the pitches you have now outside of a game environment. But I do think that there are plenty of skills, soft skills and hard skills that you just can't get outside of real baseball games. So whenever we can get back to that, we'll help all of these guys. And it'll be interesting to see just how their development paths are affected because of this year. Um, but I guess the good news is from a team perspective, everyone's kind of affected equally here. Everyone's on the same playing field and trying to work through it um, at the same level. Yeah, it's a great point. It's something I'm fascinated by. Again, as you said, there's there's only so much you can do without game scenarios. And I think drawing a distinction between pitchers and position players uh, is a good one. Maybe even contact guys and power guys. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, we could probably do an hour just on this topic. We won't do that, though. Uh, Carlos, great to see you, man. It's been a little while. And uh, thanks for the time and, and the insight. And congrats on all your success. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's always fun talking baseball and it's especially fun talking drafts. So thanks for having me. Carlos Colazzo, Baseball America, and an old friend. We do a little fire FaceTime, check in with him and talk some draft. Bring back Bob and Annie. Uh, guys, it's funny because like I, I don't follow prospects or, or high school kids or college kids closely, usually pretty tied up following the Major League Padres. But um, it seems like everyone we talk to, every article we read, Bob, like really high marks for what the Padres were able to get done a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely. And I personally had some bias towards Cole Wilcox that they picked out of Georgia. My godson had been playing with him for the last three years and he, he texted me right away. You, you have no idea of the guy that you just drafted. This guy is unbelievable. He blows a hundred miles an hour. Great makeup guy. So it's exciting to see that our scouting department grabbing guys like that. But also I love Carlos's comment and I think it's a hundred percent correct. The Padres are not afraid to take risks. They, they go for the guy that can be the most impact talent at the big league level. They don't go with the safe pick, the guy that's most likely get to get to the big leagues, and then you hope he's not just a fourth or a fifth outfielder, but he's probably going to get there. They go for guys that can be impact-type guys on the, on the as position players and on the mound. And this was another year of example of that. They have three kids here that just signed that are all out of high school. Um, the 17-year-old out of Canada, uh, Casey, I mean – a great young arm. He went higher in the draft than some people expected because the Padres saw a lot in him, and he's excited about being able to be with other Canadians with the Padres, obviously the Quantrill and Josh Naylor. But the other guys, Lang, he was expected possibly to be a first-round pick with the Dodgers. He put on a lot of weight last year, good muscle weight, added eight miles to his fastball. And he's got some mechanical issues, but when you see a kid blowing at 99 miles an hour and has made that big of a jump in just one year, you can you can just – Joe, try to project that out as to what he can possibly be. And the other kid, Haynes, that they picked up, he's the youngest uh, high school pitcher picked in the draft this year, just a few days over uh, 17 years old. Um, And he's another kid that 90 to 93, nobody really knew about him, comes from the same county as Gore out in in North Carolina. So you look at these kids and they're kind of guys that went a little bit under the radar for some people, but that is the the power that AJ Preller's scouting department has. That's what AJ expects out of his scouts is to find the guys that can be on the upside that other people maybe don't project quite as high. And that's why they've got as high a ranked system as they do. And Annie, I don't know about you, but I, I love seeing these young kids and knowing that, you know, not all of them are going to hit, but when they do hit, they're going to be the Chris Paddocks and, and the Gores of the future. Yeah, I couldn't have said it any better, Scans. I think you hit on everything there. I mean, it's just the fact that they go with what they really feel, you know, is the right choice and not necessarily what the the popular choices or or whatnot. They'll go with those guys who are under the radar who they've done their homework on and who when they hit, they just hit big, you know, like that. And and obviously it's it's great to see that the scouting department's belief in these guys, you know, from the the interviews we've seen and all the stories I've read as well, you know, really, really strong potential for for all of them and just excitement. You know, it's it's fun to see that as well. I mean, for them even it was a weird process with the Zoom calls and you know, not necessarily the the process that you would normally go through if you weren't in a pandemic. 
And I think that probably gave the scouting department also a lot of insight into how guys maybe are preparing and, and, you know, handling this kind of situation or whatnot. So I think all around it, it was, it was really fun to watch this one. Um, and, you know, when you watch their excitement, it kind of gets you excited too for, for what they could possibly be. But uh, AJ Preller and Mark Connor and their, their whole department really, you know, they have a vision and they have a philosophy and they stick with it, which is, I think, what pays off for them. It can happen fast, too. You're seeing Cal Quantrill there. That's 2016, not that long ago. And obviously made his big league debut last year. Good stuff. It's great video. It's a lot of fun to watch. It really is. All right, so that's uh, kind of a a wrap, I think, probably on the draft from from our standpoint, outside of keeping up on the news and the signings and everything like that. Uh, One thing we've been doing during this pandemic without Major League Baseball on the schedule is following uh, the KBO. And uh, our team, sadly, has not been great, uh, the KT Wiz. Uh, So our nightly... KBO Sadness Report uh, presents now uh, with some good news in that the Wiz did not lose last night against first place NC Dinos, uh, but neither did they win. They were rained out. And and as always, I'm sure Scans has some uh, prop or something to take us right there. Uh, They'll play a double. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's raining. We're getting rained out. We got to be prepared. I know Annie's got an umbrella in her bag of tricks over there as well. As sideline reporters, we've got all the tools, don't we, Annie? It's like the first thing Scan taught me. He's like, just keep the umbrella in your bag. I think I got two umbrellas. I might have stole one of yours, Scan, because I was like, I got to have that umbrella. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, rain or shine, you need to have it, right? And also this this great hat, which Scan has gotten for me as well. I I love this hat. I'm going to wear this hat everywhere. And it's one of those, like, if you know, you know, kind of things, you know, like, if people stop you in Costco or on the street, it's like, that's a true fan right there. You know, that's someone who watches Padre Social Hour. <laughs> I was going to say, there's like going to be seven of us who have KT Wiz hats <laughs> in San Diego and Bob will have gotten us uh, all of them for us. Uh, so yeah, the Wiz got rained out. So they're playing a doubleheader today. And I only bring that up because um, generally these games are like 2.30 in the morning Pacific. So they're not easy to watch live. But with the doubleheader, they're actually starting game one tonight at 11 p.m. Pacific. So if you're looking for something to do, you're up late tonight, uh, it's your opportunity to kind of Google around, see if you can find a stream of that one and uh, what we can do. Did we lose scans? I think he's, his umbrella has he's frozen him. Singing oh, no. in the rain right there. Yeah. Like it's, it's <laughs> what, what you cannot get a better still of scan than, than that skill right there. You know, <laughs> Hey, oh, Jesse also, um, um, Jay said that, you know, just like the K2 is and the KBO, they're messing with. Crowd noise, yeah. people in stands. We, we don't know what could happen with that. So Yeah, they're an experiment with all of that, you know, piping in some crowd noise and also uh, stuffed animals, cardboard cutouts, uh, whatever it might be. Try and bring uh, some normalcy to this whole thing. Yeah. All right. On, uh, on Wednesdays, we've been trying to shine, you know, our small little light here on Social Hour a little bit on some of the different uh, community initiatives that are taking place around town, uh, many of which, of course, the Padres are involved with. Uh, and, and that includes... Uh, really, obviously, in the last few weeks, uh, an emphasis on, on uh, for a lot of people here in town, which was great to see uh, providing business to black owned businesses in San Diego. And one of the main people who helps all of us do that is the president and CEO of the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce, Donna D. Berry. And uh, Donna was nice enough to visit earlier this afternoon and take us through a little bit about what that organization does. Donna, thank you so much for joining us and uh, giving us a little bit of your time here this evening. Let's start with the work that you do at the Chamber. Tell us a little bit about that and and furthermore, uh, the work that the Chamber does for our community here in San Diego. Yes. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited. Of course, I made sure I wore the right appropriate Ah. attire to show my commitment. Absolutely. Um, You know, our mission at the uh, San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce is really to create generational wealth through business enterprise, education, employment and investing. And our goal is to support the business career and financial success of our chamber members, which really does result in economic empowerment of our communities. So we utilize um, very innovative programs, networking opportunity, business partnerships to advance and strengthen inclusive economic development through the city and the county of San Diego. Obviously a lot going on right now in the world. I suppose that's putting it very mildly. Uh, what what has it been like uh, for the businesses you work with uh, these last few weeks uh, going you know, back to when the, the shutdowns and the lockdowns started uh, through obviously the social unrest we've seen in the wake of the George Floyd murder in Minneapolis and all the people taking to the streets kind of in the wake of that? 
Yeah, it. I tell you, when COVID-19 burst into the Black community, Black-owned businesses were hit faster and harder than any other business. And we are at a critical pivot for the Black community as it relates to our health, our business, our livelihood, and all the social unrest that's happening right now. This is like a crisis on top of a crisis. Um, just to give you perspective, 95% of Black-owned businesses were denied PPP, and despite the rollout of all the federal, state, and local efforts to provide support to small the small business community, the black businesses were overlooked and and disqualified, and many of them were, like I said, disproportionately left out of uh, stimulus money. So they've been shut out the pro- uh, the process for loans and grants in the city, and there's been many historical practices and policies and inequities that are negatively impacting our businesses from receiving this financial help that they need. What can we do moving forward? What's the chamber doing helping, uh, you know, locally with the businesses here in San Diego? Yeah. So right now we need, we've all been talking about how we're flattening this curve, the COVID curve. Well, now is the time that we also need to flatten the economic disparity curve. And how we're doing that is by providing financial support to our businesses so that we can create this community economic stimulus that that will help the most vulnerable businesses recover, reopen and rebuild. So in response to this challenge and in partnership with grant makers, we created the Black Business Relief Grant Fund. And what we did is we developed a blueprint that lays out a short and long-term strategy that will support these historical underfunded and underrepresented businesses that have been uh, impacted by COVID-19 and some of the social and economic injustices. We also are very smart about it. We've partnered our grants with business development and trainings so that we can continue to provide business skills and encourage business growth. So here's what we're doing. We aim to raise $1 million in 60 days. And we've kicked off this fundraiser on June the 10th. And really because a lot of Eric and Tom's efforts, we are at 250K. I can tell you that the media has been a huge partner uh, in outreach and and story opportunities. Um, These resources are going to impact the most vulnerable communities in some of the most distressed neighborhoods. Really nice to see the Padres getting involved. There was, I know, last week a $19,000 donation. That number 19, of course, uh, very uh, significant here in the Padre community. Um, I I was thrilled to see that. How much has that helped kind of kick things off for you guys? Oh, that that kicked it off. I can't tell you enough. You know, when you think about why we partner with the Padres, it's because really this magical power that I talk about. It brings these you know, communities together, their children, their families. And baseball also teaches our children patience and critical thinking, sportsmanship, honesty, loyalty, and courage through base, uh, baseball. And really, more importantly, I say that it really teaches our children, especially in the Black community, the love for the game. And so when we as a chamber look for partnerships, We are always looking for organizations that show a commitment to communities of color and a strong, bold, inclusive leadership like the president of the Padres, Eric Grubner and and Tom Seitler. They are amazing. And the Padre team, their leadership and ownership demonstrates not only their commitment to communities of color, but also real leadership qualities and competencies like empathy and awareness and healing and community building and really the commitment to the growth of others. So I'm so excited that uh, the Padres are our partner and I look forward to um, a long-term partnership. No, Donna, it, like I said, it's exciting to be able to hear that. And and the hope always, whenever we have a conversation like this with someone, uh, is that there are folks who are watching and listening and they say to themselves, man, I'd, I'd like to get involved. I would like to help. I would like to participate in some way or another. What are some of the things uh, those of us just uh, community members at large can do to help uh, websites, uh, information, donations, volunteer opportunities, anything uh, that, that might exist? All of the above. I, the, the outpour has been 
overwhelming from all the businesses, individuals, just uh, organizations. It has been amazing. And you can go to, there's two places. You can go to San Diego, San Diego Grant Makers site uh, to donate or uh, sdblackchamber.org to donate. Uh, that is, it's critically important. We welcome all these contributions. We're going to be taking these donations through August the 31st. And again, $1 million in 60 days. Please help us get there uh, so that we can continue to help Black-owned businesses reopen and rebuild. No amounts too small. They really do need our attention and our services as we all work through this recovery right now. And so I can't tell you, uh, we are all committed. We should all be committed to contribute to the vibrant economic and cultural landscape of San Diego. Oh, so great. Wonderful message. Wonderful work uh, you're doing, obviously, on behalf of uh, so many of the critical businesses here in our community. Uh, Donna DeBerry from the Central San Diego Black Chamber of Commerce. Thank you so much uh, for being here with us, for providing that information. And uh, we'll continue to uh, distribute that info as much as we can to try and get as many people involved as possible. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And, uh, that was Donna DeBerry earlier today. Again, the website, sdblackchamber.org. Uh, again, you heard about the Padres' $19,000 donation to that effort. Also want to thank Padre Partners who joined in pledging uh, to the Black Business Relief Fund, U.S. Bank, Callaway Golf uh, Foundation, Alesmith Brewing, Cutwater Spirits, and 97.3 The Fan Padres Radio Network. So thank you to all of them. And again, to Donna for joining us. There is a lot happening in the world and it is very easy to focus on just one thing. We try to spread it around a little bit and uh, remind as many people about as many of those things as we possibly can. So thanks again to Donna D. Berry. Uh, bring back uh, Bob and Annie right now, guys, as we kind of head towards the, the finish line of this Wednesday show. Uh, we like to do on this date in uh, baseball history, on this date in Padre history. And I think today is probably up there. I, I might go top two, top three most important <laughs> days in Padre history, uh, because on this date in 1993, uh, a very unpopular move at the time, Gary Sheffield <laughs> sent to the Florida Marlins, an expansion team that year. Uh, and part of the package that came west was that guy looking mighty fine in his inaugural Marlin Teal. Uh, Trevor Hoffman acquired on this date in 1993. And Annie, I think it's very easy and fair to say Padre history was altered that day. I think my favorite part is that it was such an unpopular move. You know, <laughs> people were all upset and it was, you know, and it's just so great to see the way Trevor Hoffman has changed this, this organization and the impact that he's made on so many people's lives everywhere, not just in San Diego. Um, and so much fun that we've had watching him over the years and it all because of that move right there. So definitely one of the, the brightest spots um, in Padres history and, and just, just a fun, fun memory and scans. I, I imagine you've got some good, good feelings about this one too. Oh, who doesn't? And Jesse, I don't think this is just one of the most important days in Padres history, really all of San Diego because of what he has meant, not just to the, the Padres, but really the impact that he has had on the San Diego community. And I, I go back all the time and I say how lucky the Padres are, San Diego is, to have had some leaders on their sports teams in Tony Gwynn, Trevor Hoffman, Randy Jones, guys who had their numbers retired, but have not only been incredible ambassadors uh, or performers on the field, but also ambassadors in the community and, and of the game and have done so much. So th this was a turning point really for this organization. And Annie, to your point, this was not a popular move at all. Yeah. At the time, Randy Smith was general manager. It was fire sale time. They had already moved every other you know, legitimate major league player that they had. There were two guys left that they had to move, Gary Sheffield and Fred McGriff. And Randy was out there trying to move these guys. Nobody wanted them. He got a call from the Boston Red Sox. They made a laughable offer. And then finally, the Marlins call and say, well, we might be interested in Sheffield. And remember, Sheffield had just been arrested a week earlier in Houston for getting in a fight, I guess, with a police officer. So he was not very movable at that time. But still, Randy was able to get uh, Trevor Hoffman back and a couple of other pitchers. And to your point, it was not popular at first. First of all, you're moving Gary Sheffield. He was one of the best players that the Padres had had, an incredible athlete. And 
what did Trevor do in his first seven outings? He got beat up. Yeah. He gave up three runs in his first outing. He blew a save in his second and gave up six runs in his first seven times in a Padres uniform. He was getting booed everywhere he went in the city. So things did not get off to a great start. But what was really interesting also, when, when he, I mentioned the two guys that they were trying to trade, Sheffield and McGriff, Randy Smith ended up moving McGriff as well to the Atlanta Braves. Who did he get back? A pitcher by the name of Donnie Elliott. Why is that important? Because it was Donnie Elliott that taught Trevor Hoffman that incredible changeup. So the fire sale ended up working out for the best guys. And not only are the Padres better for it, but all of San Diego. And I just I love every moment that we get a chance to see number 51 on the field. Baseball history is a weird, weird thing. And sometimes, sometimes stuff like that ends up working out in your favor. Certainly the case on this date in 1993. June 24th, by the way, is is just like a massive day for a lot of guys. Obviously with the Padres and Trevor Hoffman, you go back to 1955. Uh, Sandy Koufax, Hall of Famer, makes his Major League debut on this date in 1955. That very same day, Harmon Killebrew hit his first major league home run on uh, June 24th, 1955. And then uh, 24 years later or thereabouts, uh, Ricky Henderson makes his major league debut, opening up a Hall of Fame career of his own. So uh, June 24th is a good baseball day. And so I'll just point out, you know, the Padres signed, what, three or four draft picks today? So no pressure, guys, but you got June 24th, Annie, uh, over them, and perhaps the glow of this date will uh, will set one of those guys off to having a Hall of Fame career. Why can't we dream? I was just going to say, if you have a birthday today or you go buy a lotto ticket, you know, like you're, you're a baseball fan, maybe you're feeling good about today, but I like this draft one better. You know, if these, these guys just got signed today, you are basking in the halo of greatness. You can only go up from here. You can only move forward. Scans, I, I, I'm sure that you would give them that same talk, right? Oh, absolutely. This is your opportunity. And these kids have a much higher ceiling than a lot of other other people did. Certainly me as a 25th round draft pick. But, you know, I, I love a couple of stories. First of all, I love the fact that Sandy Koufax, actually, it was Tommy Lasorda who got optioned out to make room for for uh, for Koufax. So uh, Tommy, Tommy didn't hold a grudge, though. And Koufax, you know, it's also interesting. It actually took him seven years before he had a winning season in the big league. So for some of these young prospects, don't be frustrated if things don't go quite as you want your first few years in the big leagues. Um, it took a pretty good Hall of Famer a few years to figure things out himself. As for Harmon Killebrew, only 18 years old when he made his major league debut to get that first home or get that first home run, which is incredible. They had a rule back in those days that if you were a bonus baby and signed up early that you had to have two years on the major league roster um, so that's how he got his opportunity as an 18-year-old being signed out of a semi-pro league. And, of course, we know Ricky Henderson and what he meant to the to the Padres organization later on in his career. He set records wearing a Padres uniform with the most runs, beating Babe Ruth with 2062. And also, um, Ty, or excuse me, that was the most walks, uh, the Babe Ruth record that he beat. And Ty Cobb, he beat the most runs scored with 2,245 wearing a Padres uniform. So it was good. Ricky being Ricky, we loved it, didn't we, guys? Uh, one of my uh, all-time favorite baseball players, Ricky Henderson, for a lot of reasons. And uh, like you said, Hall of Fame uh, all around for all those guys, including, of course, Trevor Hoffman. All right, one uh, final fun look back at a memorable moment in recent-ish Padre history. This one gets a little bit lost in the shuffle, and I know why. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, enjoy our Padres memorable Jack. This week's memorable Padres Jack presented by Jack in the Box. Jack in the Box is open and ready to serve you all of your favorites at the drive-thru on the mobile app and with delivery. One lucky fan who checks in on social media during the show tonight will win a Jack cash card. So let us know that you're watching. Scans, I think you were there. I mean, it was one of the most bonkers games ever. Uh, the rain was obviously part of it. The comeback and just sort of generally uh, the Padres somehow winning that game. I, I mentioned, though, I think, you know, the reason perhaps for us, at least, it gets a little bit lost in the shuffle. Padres were like on their way up. They were in the ascent. They were doing great. It was looking like it might be a, a special season. The Mets were headed in the opposite direction. And for whatever reason, after that game, after that series, 
the two teams just started going the opposite paths. And the Padres kind of fell down the hill a little bit. The Mets end up winning the pennant that season. Um, but that was a very, very wacky, fun night. Day. It really was. And it just it seemed like one of those nights was going back and forth and you didn't know what's going to happen. But the last thing you ever expected was going to be an opposite field home run under those wet in those weather conditions. And yet Upton was able to get it done. So um, th that's one of the beautiful things about baseball, isn't it, Jesse and Annie? You never know what's going to happen. And as all these back and forth and the unlikely still takes place and you get a chance to celebrate. And that that's the thing that I miss, I think, the most or I'm most excited to see the most. And I hope we still get a chance to see it, which is those guys celebrating in the dugout, the sheer joy on grown men as they're winning a baseball game. And I know we're going to have social distancing and everything, but gosh, I sure hope we still get a chance to see those moments and seeing guys celebrate like that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And uh, if not this season, hopefully next year, we can get all this stuff uh, sorted out as well as possible. Uh, all right, coming up about a half an hour on Fox Sports San Diego. Hey, more baseball from the past. We promise we'll be bringing you new baseball soon, we hope. Uh, but uh, some more baseball from the past tonight on Fox Sports San Diego. The recent past, you go back to last year uh, against the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, just one of those beautiful nights at Petco Park. Chris Paddock on the Hill, uh, cards in their sweet blue alternate uniforms. Uh, and Manny Machado did a couple of big things in this game. So that's tonight at 7 on Fox Sports San Diego. Hope you'll be able to join it. Uh, Scans and Annie, like we said, uh, always a pleasure having both of you guys here. Um, Annie, uh, there it is, the Wiz hat. I mean, that's kind of the main takeaway today, I think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Rocks it. I think the Wiz hat is, is the real deal. You know, if, if we get nothing else from this whole time, the Wiz hat is what does it for us. We're going to offer them that hat, Annie. Way to go. I, yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, so maybe we'll just give them some luck, too. I, I don't know. I think they're past the luck phase probably, right? But yeah. But we're still sending our thoughts. So yeah, we, we, we send them whatever we can send them from across the Pacific. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, uh, 5.30. It's Thursday. That means Don and Mud. Uh, my understanding is they'll both be here. So we'll have some fun with those two gentlemen. Uh, thanks again to Bob and Annie, everybody behind the scenes, Nikki, Cole, Shannon, and uh, for all you guys for joining us here tonight. Stay safe, everybody. Oh, you got action. I got action on the field. Got action. They're getting that thing ready, hopefully, for some baseball sooner rather Sweet. than later. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.